Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of December 2021, and guess what? After a month-long absence from the show, he's back. Kyle has returned. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. It has been a long month without you, Kyle. I'm so glad to have you back. It's great to uh, be we back. Went, we went through a whole shit show of No Theme November. That's not true at all. In fact, we had our most successful week in show history just, just last week. Nice. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where the fuck that came from, but I'm not complaining. Um, but yeah, we went through five Tuesdays in November. It was a long fucking month. A lot of content. Uh, but now you're back. I'm glad <laughs> to have you, you back. I thought you said a lot of content. <laughs> A lot of see you next Tuesday, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Whole lot of cunt. Whole lot of cunt. Uh, To our UK listeners, uh, that that word does not get tossed around as uh, casually uh, here in the States as it does across the pond. Uh, But that being said, um, it is December 2021, and Kyle is back. Uh, So last year, uh, we did a little thing called uh, Kyle's Brutal Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, So this time, though, Kyle had a counterproposal. It's like, instead of... A brutal Christmas. Let's just let's just do a cold Christmas. Just cold, chill. Yeah, just <laughs> just doing just doing movies basically where uh, it's cold. It's just cold in the movie. Something to so preferably with snow. If there's snow, that's a plus. Uh, and I think all the movies that we've picked for this month actually do have snow. So it could just be snowy movies, even. But the theme ultimately is if you the characters should be able to see their breath as they're talking. Okay, well, you're really not giving me a whole lot to work with from, like, a Photoshop or, like, a graphic design standpoint. Kyle's cold Christmas is it's not quite That's, as strong it's, as it's, brutal. It's actually very simple. All you need to do is uh, take Jack Nicholson's face at the end of The Shining and then just that. Oh, I can do that. I, I can do that, Kyle. In fact, I will do that. I'll, I'll try my best to accomplish that because uh, just, just last week I had to, on the quick... Uh, do a Photoshop job for uh, Tales from the Shelf. Um, and we did a, a basket of bees. Uh, so I just very quickly Photoshopped in an image of uh, Nick Cage wearing the bee hat from uh, the end of The Wicker Man. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? A shark or something? <laughs> Naturalistic dialogue, if ever there was. I've been um, sitting on that meme for like two years now. I have not gotten to use it. or the I have a gif of that, and I have not had a chance to use it. Well, find an excuse. It's a gem. Oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, to kick things off, uh, being as Kyle has just returned to the show, I figured it would only be appropriate that he gets to to pick a show, uh, pick a movie for us to review for this first week of December. So Kyle, how about you let the folks at home know uh, what our first cold film is? Yes, our first cold film of the uh, of the of the month is appropriately named uh, "Cold Skin" from 2017 or 2018. One of those two, um, directed by Xavier Gins or Gins. However, uh, you will know him as the director of Hitman and absolutely no other movie you've ever heard of in your entire <laughs> life. Uh, <laughs> this stars uh, Ray Stevenson. And that's pretty much it. Uh, there's a guy named David Oakes who looks a lot like a white Clifton Collins Jr. Uh, wow. I, yeah, I, you're, you're right. 
I could not stop seeing it. He also looks very much like a friend of mine. Uh, but yeah, like I was watching him, like it it kept looking when the camera cuts to him. I'm like, that looks like Clifton Collins Jr. Each time, it's not. Um, and then she doesn't. You don't get to see her face, but Aura uh, uh, Garrido plays. Um, uh, gosh, I can't even find her name. Anaris. Um, <laughs> A- Anaris and Gruner and friend, which I. Anders was a creative name, but man, just this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll just go ahead. Do you want to go? Do you want to jump in? Because I can give the plot summary at the top, and then we can we can go from there. Well, real real quick, just indulge me for a second okay. before we get to the plot summary. Let's just uh, let's just talk a little bit about some of these players involved. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This is a fun little exercise for me. Just taking a look, like an honest look, at the people who made the thing, the people who headlined the thing. So. Xavier Jens, or however however this name is pronounced, I'm sorry, I don't exactly have a French tongue, but he is indeed a French gentleman. Um, as Kyle had said, the only thing the two of us really uh, are familiar with on his filmography happens to be Hitman, uh, which is, of course, a video game film, a video game adaptation of the Hitman uh, video game series. Uh, from 2007, headlined by Timothy Oliphant, um, I was not a big fan of that film. I, I was, in fact, I was like straight up kind of mean to that film when it came out. Like in particular, I was getting all sorts of cringe from that uh, subway car sword fight. Oh god! Like, there's a subway car. Cor- I've seen that movie a couple of times, and it was around the time that it came out, so I don't really remember it. But I remember not hating it. But then again, I never played the Hitman games. As far as video game movies go, you can do a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, take from that what you will, but it's... Oh, I know it's, that. <laughs> it attempts to be fairly stylish, but at the same time, it's like... I think in 2007, they weren't entirely sure what they were doing with the Hitman game franchise because the identity of that particular video game series has shifted very dramatically from year to year. And in 2007, I'm not quite positive. Like, it was well suited for a film like that i feel like maybe it would have been smarter to make it even more gaudy and audacious Um, Mm. but as it stands it just comes across as kind of like a boilerplate just like spy thriller Mm -hmm. as opposed to one with uh uh killer mercenary nuns which is a thing in the hitman video game series i don't recall that being in this hitman movie although i do know that somehow somehow kyle it did in fact spawn a sequel at some point Oh, sure. Um, much, much like how there was a, a transporter without Jason Statham that we don't talk about. <laughs> very similar, actually. Very similar franchise, like in terms of flavor and whatnot. But uh, the ABCs of Death, apparently, he, he did a short for that series at one point in 2012. Mm. Um, I have not seen that. However, I would imagine uh, our buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, he's probably familiar with that. I don't know if it's good. <laughs> Um, but then one thing, just exactly one thing on his filmography jumped out at me, and it's because it's sitting on my shelf right over there, Kyle. Something with um, Scott Atkins. Close. Very mm, close. So close. Uh, it, ha- it has a Joe Cole uh, from Green Room, uh, Jiu-Jitsu, as, as oh, I've Oh, Criss Cross Applesauce, yeah. Yeah, I, I call him Jiu-Jitsu, folks, uh, because he does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, jiu-jitsu in that movie, he- and it's, it's easy shorthand for me trying to tell Kyle, like, eh, the funny-looking guy from Green Room. I was three seasons into Peaky Blinders before I realized that he's one of the brothers on there. Uh, like I said, he doesn't exactly stand out from a visual standpoint. However, I do respect his acting ability. Um, he did a he did a movie called A Prayer Before Dawn that takes place in a Thai prison, 
and that is a rough movie and he had to he had to really go balls out to like sell that performance like he mm-hmm. really had to dig dig deep and find some crazy shit within himself to pull off that performance that's a very intense very unsettling movie but very strong performance from him but anyway the the thing that i'm talking about is a a series that i have been trying <laughs> I've been trying to get my girlfriend to sit down and fucking watch it with me because we don't have shows for the most part. Like, we don't watch things together, and I'm trying to fix that. Anyway, it's a TV series, only one season at this time, like, as as of now, called Gangs of London uh, from 2020. And the reason I picked it up is because it's directed by, or conceived by, Gareth Evans, uh, who is, of course, the fellow who made the Raid films. Mm. Um, and Joe Cole is the headliner of it. And apparently, Xavier Jens directed a few episodes of it. So I, I'm like, maybe he does have something to offer. Maybe, maybe, maybe Hitman isn't the best he's ever done. Who knows? Uh, your lady is um, totally warranted in being skeptical of you having her sit down and watch anything. Uh, being as I've <laughs> done quite a few episodes with you, and I know what your shelf looks like. She's with. It's okay for her. You might have to. You might have to come up with a bargaining system or a barter system where you trade off. Perhaps uh, meals and cooking meals or desserts, and maybe she gets to pick something you pick something because, yes, I know the things that you pick. But that I was surprised that that's the thing you're negotiating because that seems like it would be a bit easier to negotiate. I think so. (laughs) I think so. But but yes, folks at home, if if you're not familiar with with my movie shelf, um, how dare you? Because I talk about it. (laughs) literally every month on every the show month, yeah <laughs> but um i have not one blood sport film not one or two or three but four <laughs> blood sport films <laughs> on he my has mo- he has movies on your shelf where you're like they made sequels to that and like yeah they did yeah. oh yeah oh yeah yeah blood sport one through four undisputed one through four <laughs> we got it all folks we got all the red box movies but yeah, yeah uh Beyond that, though, I think really the only star worth mentioning is Ray Stevenson, I, I'm uh, so who has sorry. been on the show before. I didn't say his name correctly. It's Ray Carly Minogue Stevenson. Uh, he's <laughs> correct. Cha- if I, I very rarely refer to her, but if I have to bring her up, that's how I introduce her, is Carly Minogue. Carly Minogue. Carly Minogue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking, I haven't seen a ton with him, um, and... With the exception of this movie, I like it when he pops up. Like, I love Punisher, too. That movie's awesome. Uh, I will stand by that. Uh, he's great. He's really funny. In the, like, he's good in the other guys. He has a few scenes. But uh, here, he actually does a pretty good job. Like I, like, I don't think it's his problem. Like, it's not his issue why the movie is not that great. But he does a really good job in here. And I'd actually like to look more into his filmography. Yeah, no, I've always been a big fan of this guy. Um, he he's never become like a household name, but he he always does pretty well in pretty much everything he's in. He has wonderful presence. He's got mm-hmm. really awesome lines on his face. Like I can I can see why he gets a lot of roles because he's he's a big guy. Uh, he's obviously had some weapons training at some point in his life. You can't play the Punisher without having some weapons training in your life. I'm sorry, that's just how that works. Um, but yeah, he's a pretty big guy. He had a a pretty decent run in like major Hollywood blockbusters. Like he got to be, you know, Punisher in Punisher Warzone. Uh, he was in a GI Joe movie opposite The Rock. That makes he sense. Th- he got to throw hands with The Rock again. A lot of that just 
straight up comes down to size. There's a reason Vernon Wells was selected to be the villain <laughs> oh, commando. Man. It's because, no, he he may not have the physique, but he's got the stature and the width at the very least. And casting someone to throw hands with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you have to be very careful. Otherwise, oh. it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like like a father beating his child in the streets Dude. or something. Okay, so I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but he I forgot that he's in Thor. He's one of his crew in Thor. He gets to play Porthos. In that Three Musketeers movie, dude. I might have to watch that because I fucking love me some Porthos. Any iteration of Porthos. I was about to bring that up. Yes, um, Kyle is, of course, a very big fan of Three Musketeers. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of our earliest and best episodes, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, that's that's the Paul W.S. Anderson uh, Three Musketeers movie uh, with uh, Logan Lerman, I think. is the, I think he plays D'Artagnan! D'Artagnan! <laughs> um, is that with the amazing trailer with a guy like jumping from the... Uh, like It looked like it was going to be bad. There's like an airship, and it looks like the, an airship from Super Mario Bros. 3. Okay. I think Mila Jovovich is like the bad guy in it. It, it looked bonkers, and like, I don't know if it did well but like the whole time i was watching the trailer for that movie i think i was in a theater and i kept asking like is this real like is this real life because this doesn't look like it but it exists and yeah maybe someday we need to get around to reviewing some more musketeers media kyle because there there's there's no shortage of them that's for sure i do have one with oliver reed that i've had on my list for a really long time i might make you watch the musketeer um, which I think was a Corey Yuen movie. It's like, imagine a Musketeer movie, but with a Hong Kong choreographer doing the swordplay and the, the wire work and stuff. You know, we, we can actually, we should schedule just a Musketeer month where we go through. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. that. March or May. March or M. Yeah, March is for Musketeers. March, March, Mar- March of the Musketeers. March of the Musketeers. I think March is the way to do it. That's that's a good time to be watching it, too. It's shitty outside. So, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about March. Like, swords and sandals sound fun in March because it's just gloomy. Here, wherever you're at in the country, aside from Southern California, it's just kind of gray and gloomy. Uh, but, yeah, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Ray Stevenson, that, that Kylie Minogue line comes from The Other Guys. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah, uh, he plays an Aussie in that. Um, he's. I don't think he actually is. I is believe he he's Kiwi? Irish. Oh, I think he's Irish. Oh, I thought he was um, a Kiwi. I, no, I've mostly seen him in UK productions, and I'll just close things out here, Kyle. I know you didn't ask for this, but he's Irish it anyway. He's Irish. Um, Go ahead. He has acted opposite Scott Atkins. <laughs> oh, he <laughs> seems like he's he is that caliber. I would not. Be I mean, surprised. A- after you throw hands with The Rock, after you hang out with Chris Hemsworth on the set of a couple of Thor movies it's only downhill from there you may as well go hang out with scott atkins in the red box yeah he yeah. was an accident man as a kind of like his mentor and he's very funny in it like he's uh-huh. mostly there for dialogue and he's absolutely hilarious Whatever uh, but works. yeah uh i've always liked him so yeah um definitely he's a selling point for me so i i didn't mind seeing him uh <laughs> attached to this movie you know i just thought of, of the best way to describe your movie collection you pay for movies that you've already paid for because all of your movies are on Prime. If you have a Prime membership, you're already paying for these movies. Because I looked up this movie, Accident Man, and I'm like, oh, it's on Prime. You, you're like, I'm not paying to watch that. I'm like, oh, you already are. Like, You might as well watch it because you're already paying for it. <laughs> Sadly, very accurate. That and uh, Netflix, by the way. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Because yeah. Way back in the day, I was getting so tired of my coworkers telling me, like, hey, Trevor, you ever heard of this movie, uh, IP Man? It's like, 
Ip Man, and it's, it's on the third level. It's on the third shelf of Netflix action movies. It's yeah, yeah. It's I can't tell you how many times people who attempt to get to know me, like in that get to know you phase of friendship and stuff, they're like, "Hey, Charlie, you ever, you ever seen Ip Man?" It's like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> like I was on Ip Man three when y'all were just looking at the first one. <laughs> I'm to the point where I go to mu- use DVD Blu-ray stores. I'll be walking through. I'm like, I bet Trevor owns that. I bet Trevor was here a week ago, and he looked at that, and it's like, I already own that. Trevor looked at that, it's like, I'm not going to buy that. But I know what you would probably pick when I go through those places. Do me a favor, Kyle, and pull up the cover art to Blood Moon, starring okay. Gary Daniels, on um, your phone right right now. Okay, Blood Moon. Well, I'll do that. Um, let's, keep, let's keep moving here. Yeah, so it's Cold Skin uh, is the film in question. Is It came out, Kyle had mentioned, 2017 or 2018. It's a little uh, it's a little hairy as to exactly when the release date was. Um, but one thing that's very important to keep in mind as we get into the film is that uh, The Shape of Water, uh, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, I believe came out in 2017. So this is kind of like a who who done it first kind of situation because yeah. we do have some parallels uh, between the two films. Um, but yeah, this was a French-Spanish uh, production. Uh, it's entirely in English language, but that's where the financing came from, and that's where the directing and the producing came from. But uh, yeah, uh, basically, uh, you want me to give the plot summary, Kyle, or would you would you care to do that? Uh, I could do the plot summary. Uh, so a guy who's going to spend a year on a I, I looked it up. It's an ant in, uh, an island in the Antarctic Circle. Uh, oh. Yeah, at least that's what IMDb said, but I'm not too positive about that um yes a guy who's gonna be taking over is basically a weather observer for a year uh ends up being attacked by a group of blue things that live in the water and then he has to take shelter uh with a guy and his abusive uh, relationship with his uh sex prisoner that's also a blue person and mary mishaps and sue as they try to survive the year in this uh, lighthouse basically yeah uh that that pretty much sums up the entire movie honestly um yeah I, this was this was an interesting pick because i actually this was one of those movies that bears a title that i found myself thinking i was familiar with and then when i put it on i was like oh i never heard of this shit oh, <laughs> well, when you said that you're like oh i actually wanted to get to that i'm like oh perfect because i'm like this was one that i've had on my my prime list for a while because it kind of came up it's like it it come up, it had pretty high ratings for, like, what it, it looks like just a shitty little sci-fi movie. I'm like, okay, like, I'll give this a chance at some point. Uh, Harbinger, da- Har- Harbinger Down Harbinger Down is also one that I've had on the list. Ooh, be careful with that, Kyle. Because um, that, that was long on my list as well. Um, because uh, the story behind that production is that it's uh, Amalgamated Dynamics, uh, Tom Woodruff Jr., uh, one of the, one of the foremost creature designers in Hollywood history. Mm. Like like I think he was like an understudy of Stan Winston back in the day. Oh. Uh, he, he basically he's worked on every Alien movie since Stan Winston worked on Aliens. Um, he he's done most of the creature design, lots of prosthetics, lots of like rubber monster suits and stuff. Tons of production credits. We have talked about him before. Anyway, it was a crowdfunded production. Um, and the whole thesis behind it was we're going to do something that's going to make you think of John Carpenter's The Thing, and it's an Amalgamated Dynamics production, so it'll have those people working on it. Only problem is I don't think they had very much money, even after the crowdfunding, because mm. that movie has, like, one good effect, like like one good monster in it. Like, 
just a couple shots of it and then the rest of it's just like oh no they ran out of money or ideas or both because this the rest of the movie is not holding up it was big disappointment i thought you were gonna say it was like the 2011 thing where they had done all of it with the practical like creature effects and then went back and did cgi which is still one of the dumbest things i've ever heard in my entire life yeah i i fundamentally disagree with that like if if that's how it was intended maybe you should have just followed through with that but producers you know the money people they they came to that conclusion that that needed to be there but uh funny enough almost positive that was also amalgamated dynamics's work Mm. Um, so they are they are capable of great things but harbinger down is not it (laughs) duly noted (laughs) yeah uh, so if you do feel the need to pull the trigger on that just just keep in mind it really not going to knock your socks off don't don't think of the thing when you're watching it as it, try try your best <laughs> the, the time has passed i'm sober now uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> there there was a stretch where there were certain things on my watch list that were from a different time so this this was almost there this was at a transition point so i want i thought this would be kind of a fun one to watch this like it looks entertaining enough and it's under two hours so Okay, give it a try. I mean, you, you know me well enough to know it. It checks like every box. It's got monsters. It's at sea. Like it has it has people designing the monsters that I know and like. They had a lot going for it, and then I was just like, oh no, just it just didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. But anyway, uh, Cold Skin uh, is a period piece. That's very important to note. So this yes. does take place uh, in 1914, I believe. So. Yes. Uh, the world is at war in the form of World War One, um, and our film opens. And I I couldn't help but think that this was a red flag. Yes, it um, was because our opening shot. And surprisingly enough, it's it's an unwarranted red flag. Like like the the movie isn't reflected in this single shot. So like I was worried, and then I was like, okay, never mind. It was false alarm. But basically, our opening shot is is a complex computerized shot that's mostly computer effects but it's basically looking up at a ship at sea from the vantage point of being at the bottom of the sea so like staring up under under the water and seeing the silhouette of a a ship passing above and that does this complex crane maneuver where it rises up out of the sea and then we see a pod of dolphins or porpoises or porpoise i don't know poor pie who knows poor pie poor pie (laughs) chubby dolphins if you will yeah. <laughs> yes uh, yeah we see a bunch of cgi porpoises or dolphins and that was the red flag it was like really it wasn't for the me? for me it was first the font well first the nietzsche quote this starts with a nietzsche quote which is a huge red flag unless this yeah. is like directed by paul thomas anderson or something um Whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into an, into the abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. And it's like, okay, so you're starting with a Nietzsche quote. It's usually a heavy thing to add. And then the font for the opening credits was like, oh, no. Uh, those were my red flags. And then I saw the porpoises. I'm like, okay, this might just be awful. <laughs> Who knows? Well, it's funny you bring up the font because absolutely, yes, the film does open with a, a title card showing the Nietzsche quote. Um, and yeah, this is this is an example of the film probably punching above its weight a little bit, where it's like maybe maybe don't bring that into the story. Like like I don't I don't know that you have the talent or the budget to measure up to those standards. So maybe yeah. don't plant that seed in your audience's mind. But the font is curious because if you look at the way the film is marketed, like if you look at the the, the streaming page, like the Amazon uh, streaming page for the film, it has this like 
goofy red like like blood slash like like font for cold skin and it has right? R- yeah. Ray Stevenson brandishing a rifle. It it looks like like a blood and guts like like horror like horror film. Um, but then you look at the font actually used in the film and on the original posters for it. It has this like subtle classy white font. <laughs> like like it, it's like aiming for class but you look at the the way it's marketed on streaming services it's just like no it it's like an, an evil dead movie or something it's kind of weird but yeah the cgi dolphins for me that was a big red flag because i was like one the effect isn't great and two you're putting it front and center like big as life and twice as ugly in the like center of the frame we're doing complex like computer assisted camera movements and stuff it's like Maybe don't do that if you know you don't have the budget for it or you don't have the talent for it. Um, do these dolphins really need to be here? What do they contribute? Um, but thankfully, we don't actually get a whole lot more stuff like this throughout no. the re- remainder of the film. It was just for whatever reason they really wanted to start off with a bang. I thought it looked very nice aside from the dolphins, honestly. like The rendering of the seawater looks very good. The The colors in this film are actually quite nice from time to time. Like, it's a very handsome movie. Oh, it's a very, uh, the... very handsome film. Yeah, yeah, I can't take that away from it. It actually looks very handsome from time to time, and there's a lot of interesting use of color, like lots of kind of naturalistic greens in place of, like, what you would expect for, like, blacks or, or like, leather colors and whatnot. It has, it has like, a grimy, like, sea brine kind of vibe to it. That, it really fits, but uh, we're introduced to our main character who is never named. Uh, yeah. He's referred to as Friend, Yes. Um, by Ray Stevenson later on in the film. But Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. Do we never really get an explanation as to why he's doing what he's doing? So the there's a uh I think there was an I don't remember if it was from a movie or there was a quote, but like why uh why do men go off and join the military? It's like somebody broke their heart, like they're running from something. Like um so we kind of get that we get that sense here cuz he that we have this young chap I have him down as young chap until he's named friend. He's on a boat, 67 days out to sea. He's kind of doing a little voiceover saying it's 1914. He tries to light a a cigar with a match on a fucking boat. I'm like, that's not going to work. Captain tells him, hey, that's not going to work. But yeah, he seems to be running from something. And he's like, the captain's like, what are you running from? And he's just like, does like an emo shudder. Like, oh, you wouldn't understand. And we never do find out exactly what he is running from. Maybe the draft. (laughs) Actually, you might be onto something there because um, I was telling Kyle before we started recording this. This movie, I don't think, has a lot of explicit references to other films or other media, but I found myself establishing parallels in my head between this and a lot of other things. And one thing that really stuck out in my head was um, we do take very special care to point out that World War I has broken out. Like it's it's a thing, or at least we're on the verge of it anyway. Uh, so the the world is in a it kind of a precarious position right now. Conflict is brewing. It's an ugly time for humanity uh, in general. And it made me think of uh, Sam Peckinpah's uh, Straw Dogs. Have you seen that one, Kyle? I, I haven't. It's very I've very much heard of it, but I have not actually watched it. It's a it's an interesting little film. Um, it was it was remade and uh, they they changed up the setting and the characters. Uh, so the bad guy James Woods is the bad guy. He's like a high school football coach or something. And it, James um, Woods is a bad guy. So that's that's yeah. It, yeah. it kind of works. And I think Alexander Skarsgård or I think I think he plays like a 
like a redneck tough in it or something which is which is weird being as he's a giant swede <laughs> okay that's skarsgård okay the young the 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 young, the older son Bill, bill's the one with the wally eye who plays the clowns and shit well uh, <laughs> i get it mixed up with peter skarsgård ah oh, yeah, which I, one is it I don't know. There's too many. There's too many of those, and there's too many Gleasons. There's too many yes. Sars, Sars, Scars, and Gleasons. There are far too many of all of those things. Uh, quick side note: You haven't gotten to Dune yet, have you? The new Dune? No. Oh, okay. I I might do that this weekend though, because uh, the girlfriend is really pushing for. She's pushing for the theater actually. Like she's do. She wants to do it right. So we're we're aiming for this weekend. Hopefully. Yes. Do that. Um. Anyway, it reminded me of Straw Dogs because uh. The whole idea behind that is that Dustin Hoffman, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character in that is objecting to the Vietnam War, mm. and like his his view on humanity is like at a all time low, and it, that merry mishaps ensue. But it made me think of this situation where it's like maybe the idea of the world being ready to explode. He's just like is not wanting to be a part of it. Like he's he's not joining a side. He's opting out because he's disgusted. I noticed some parallels between Ray Stevenson's character. Very loose parallels, and um, Ray Fiennes' character in Schindler's List, which you haven't seen yet. Um, I'm, a, but, I'm a bad person, I know. But there, there's some one of the one of the worst moments of the one of the, for me one of the darkest moments of the film comes from um, Ray Fiennes' character, uh, basically on an upper level with a rifle, and you can kind of put it together from there. Uh, also, he has a relationship with um, a Jewish woman in that, and it's a and it's abusive, of course. Okay, well, I, I think that's maybe a little on the nose, honestly. Like, may, maybe he's straight up ripping off that aspect of Schindler's List. Well, that's what, what we were talking before. You're like, this is before World War One. I'm like, because of that, I was like, I'm seeing some World War Two parallels in here, especially treating these creatures as not human basically absolutely i mean world war one is often characterized as like a pointless and cruel war that you know due to the due to the nature of the technology and the improvements made Mm. in killing killing technology at the time we even say the technology in this he's like this is this is even scarier we need even stronger technology so which was very much yeah it it was too it was a lot of leapfrogging. It was a lot of like we need to get one step ahead of them, and yeah. every advancement resulted in other technologies falling behind. Like like the 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 running gag throughout that war was that mobility uh, ceased because our ability to kill each other at distance and in volume <laughs> increased far beyond it. So it's like, well, how do we get places? Like logistically, how do we go anywhere? Like knowing full well that we could be killed so easily now, it's like, well. I guess the solution is to just stand still, hide in a ditch, pop up and shoot at each other every couple of days. <laughs> anyway, um, not not going to turn this into a rant, but I just want to point out, like, I'm curious, like, if anybody across the internet can give me an answer to this, why World War One had such a huge moment across all media and pop culture uh, around the time this film came out. Like, around the time, like, 2015, 2016, around there, just we were bombarded with World War One stuff. Like, one of the Battlefield games was set there, a.k.a. one of the biggest video games or PC games, like, released that year. Wonder Woman was set in World War One. There was, uh, Peter Jackson had his doc- his full-color yep. documentary come out around the same time. Like, we were inundated with World War One stuff, very similar 
to how you and I were both inundated with World War II media in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, early just, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it just World War One was in vogue for a minute. I, I don't know that it still is, but it, it was a few years ago. I think we were just over we were just over World War Two at that point. It's like let's go back to World War One. Let's see what that was all about. Yeah, it, I mean, it could point to something ugly too, like like just the just general angst in the population, where it's just like the the general sense of apathy, I guess. Because because when you think of World War Two, it's like of course all wars are awful, but World War Two at least has a little bit of like sincere motivation behind it where it's it like was they're, bonkers they're, yeah <laughs> yeah no all all wars like nobody can claim to have clean hands going into any war but world war one it's just like this is just a cruel pointless quagmire like yeah. what what are we trying to do world war two at least if you There's swing some... it a certain way you can say it's like well you know you can justify it you can absolutely you can... justify it <laughs> there's yeah, some yeah, nasty it, shit going on yeah you can you can kind of justify it whereas world war one it's just like I, I defy you to give me a reason as to why it happened. It's like, I don't know, economics? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, when when we're on the ship, as Kyle had said, um, it's weird that they point out that they've been at sea for like 60 days or something. 67, and he had, yeah. And he hasn't figured out that you can't light a match on the deck of a ship? There's a lot of there's a lot of things <laughs> in this movie. It's like we're shown or told that don't make any sense, that don't, like, why did we need to know that? There's no... Uh, actually, now that I'm thinking of it, um, Gruner owns this water or owns this fountain does make a little more sense, a little bit more sense now looking back. But that's coming up in a minute when they actually get to the island. Um, so yeah, we learned friend. The guy's name is Friend. He's I guess gonna be taking over, living in this little house by himself. Uh, captain's dropping him off. They don't find the former occupant, but we're uh, uh, we're looking for him. There's this writing on the waterfall that says Gruner owns this. Uh, little fountain, and they're gonna head over to the lighthouse, I guess, to see maybe if the guy. So I guess there's a guy that works in the lighthouse, and then a guy that works in this little this little house as like a, a weatherman. That's the best I can do. I I don't really know what he's supposed to do, and he never does his job, so it doesn't really. No, matter. he he is absolutely terrible. His one job that he's assigned to do for an entire year, he's supposed to catalog the weather patterns. So basically, mm-hmm. just track the winds uh, from day to day and hour to hour. Um, it, and yeah, uh, it's supposed to be a pair of people on this island. One person to operate a lighthouse to prevent you know ships colliding on the rocks or on the on the shore. And then, oh, he doesn't do his job either, by the way. No, <laughs> he barely, realigns the light. Yeah, he barely does his job. He turns it on at night. <laughs> he uh, turns it on. It's not pointing the right way. but, <laughs> but Yeah, so we see that um, Friend has got some supplies, but now they head over to the... I didn't realize it was a lighthouse at first because it wasn't on. Uh, but yeah, they head over to this uh, lighthouse, and it's got uh, just spears all over the place so you're like okay this person might be losing their mind because uh, it is like spears all over the place there's um bars on the windows basically uh they gain entry they go upstairs and ray stevenson is upstairs mr gruner passed out in the middle of the day and he looks haggard like he's just long hair long beard just gross yeah kyle a uh, question uh, so, folks at home, it, Kyle's been gone for a month, so I haven't been able to ask fun questions like this. But uh, drunk acting, or hungover acting, rather, uh, is this good hangover acting? Because uh, I obviously I wouldn't know, but Kyle is, Kyle is an expert. 
smoking smoking acting and drunk acting kyle is the resident expert i can tell you who the real smokers are yeah um (laughs) dane cook and my best friend's girl he's not a real smoker and it was driving me nuts watching that movie because i'm like dude just stop smoking why would you have his character smoke he's awful at it um uh so yeah this is decent hungover acting um but he's also like constantly in a state of hangover it seems like first thing he asks is like tobacco alcohol like just whatever um but yeah he's pretty gross and he's just naked was walking around his little lighthouse naked and they're like asking like where's the guy that used to be here he's like he's fucking did um (laughs) actually he doesn't have an accent in this movie i I didn't pick i didn't pick up an accent um yeah so he's like yeah he's dead and he's like well where's his body he's just like he gives them like nothing basically and they're like well that was super fucking unhelpful and uh and yeah pretty much we just see friend uh unloading his stuff so um he's got some stuff he puts down in the pantry and he pulls out the newspaper with world war one like franz ferdinand shot and uh did you notice that he's putting up books and one of them is dr jekyll and mr hyde like the camera actually kind of points that one out yeah, I, I think the idea here is that we're really trying to hammer home that uh, despite committing himself, and he does have some narration here pointing out that like the absurdity of his, his situation, where it's like despite him willfully removing himself from civilization for an entire calendar year, clearly this is a person who is very well educated and was very much integrated into society. Like he was mm-hmm. really dug in, like, like you he was he has a vast collection of books he has a newspaper with him so he's informed of current events and stuff like this was this was a fairly like a well-read but seemingly ordinary guy that again we don't really know why he's making the choice he's making but yeah we have dante's inferno i saw dr jekyll and mr hyde in there as well um wide variety of books many many volumes but the the newspaper article like the camera takes like makes a point to like just linger on that for a second so the headline is the assassination of uh, archduke franz ferdinand um, which is like if you're familiar with world war one it's like one of the more familiar catalysts for the beginning of world war one is what the sinking of the lusitania and the assassination so this is meant to inform the viewer that Oh, World War One is going on, or is about to go on. So it's it's meant to remind you that 1914 isn't just a year. Some other crazy shit happened in that year. So maybe think about that. But um, yeah, as he's unpacking, um, he also uh, roots through uh, the desk in in this little hut that he's living in, um, and he finds a journal in one of the drawers, and uh, he starts flipping through it, and we get this long sequence where he's reading the journal and uh, sitting by the fireside and problem problem with this um what's that what's there's that? no vegetation like there's nothing on this island this island is a rock with nothing else and i think it's an act like it's got hot springs or something because uh, there's like looks like there's steam coming out of uh, out of a few spots but yeah there's nothing here and there's only so much firewood you can bring so where the fuck is he getting this firewood yeah, we don't see any trees. We don't see any vegetation. Like, there's nothing to cut down. Like, like honestly, like, I don't even know where the spears came from. Maybe driftwood if you're lucky, but mm, it seems like I, it's kind of way the fuck out there. It's way out there, and, like, even <laughs> if there was wood, it would, like, it would be, like, a two-day trip. Like, he would have to go. Like, it'd be a, a week, actually. Like, he would have to go on the other side of the island, spend some time cutting down stuff, and t- take trips going back and forth, so... 
yeah, legit, logistically, you're absolutely right. Like, just just keeping warm would be difficult and in terms of like provisions or whatnot. They wouldn't just leave him on the island without being able to survive. Like, they wouldn't just say like, "Oh, go, go, be, live." Like, like this is a job. Like, he's being yeah. paid to do this. Like, they wouldn't just dump him there. Um, but there's like we saw the the landing party. It was like four people. Like, you couldn't yeah. possibly carry a year's worth of provisions in there. But yeah, uh, good good on you for pointing that out because that that is one of those things. Is like, hang on, how did he get all that shit? <laughs> like, um, and also the the remote nature of the island is is one of those things. It's like this isn't Kyle being nitpicky. This is the the movie going to great lengths to like tell you like every couple minutes. Like this is an extremely isolated location. They have it's more hospitable as well. They have more ammunition on this island than you do in Nazi zombies. Like you, like it's insane <laughs> how much ammunition you they have on this island. I th- I think it's verbalized at one point over a thousand rounds for bolt action rifles. <laughs> the Jesus. way the way they're murking people over the year, they were done in like a week. Honestly, they would have been out of ammunition. Yeah, no. Realistically, this they wouldn't have been able to stretch all this for a year. No, um, no, not at all. But. Yeah, by the way, Ray Stevenson, when they woke him up, uh, said that the other guy was dead. Like, yeah. the person they're actually looking for. And he goes by the name Gruner. Uh, Ray Stevenson does. And it's like, uh, ain't nobody on the ledger named Gruner, but uh, you're here. So I guess, I guess, sure, okay. you can stay. <laughs> it's like, there's a very well, good chance that you murdered somebody and took their house, but okay. Well, the only other assumption that I could make is that because this is an island with a lighthouse, which is which assuming means there are people that are coming by on ships, so it could be that once every couple of months, somebody does have stuff on the boat that could drop stuff off, basically. Like, they could be, like, just keep giving them more stuff throughout the year. He just has to stay there on the island for a year, and they keep giving him provisions. Yeah, that, something like that. Something like that. That's the best I can do. <laughs> anyway, um, as as our our protagonist, a friend, uh, by the way, played by David Oakes, who, as Kyle said, um, I don't recognize from anywhere. Like nothing. I looked at the Absolutely guy. I looked nothing. at his filmography. It's a bunch of period pieces, like a lot of period television, a lot of period films, but nothing, not mm-hmm. one thing I've seen or heard of, honestly. Um, but he's he's reading through this journal, and there's a lot of drawings in it of the environment and of animals and uh, he finds a photo of a woman in there and the back of the photo has a message that says love 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 on it and i think the the surname listed there is a uh, of the pre of the person who is supposed to be inhabiting the the lighthouse that ray mm-hmm. stevenson said had died of typhus uh, so it's apparently their wife or significant other but he continues flipping through the journal and the the soundtrack kind of ratchets up and uh we we get some pages in here, Kyle, that are uh, uh, portentous. They're kind of like letting us know, hey, uh, expect to see some of this shit like yeah. in a few minutes. Honestly, like like right much, now, like right yeah, now. like right, right right fucking now. Like like uh, basically, we have some like pornographic images of reptiles and fishes uh, laying with women. Well, uh, it, these are all drawings, by the way. It reminds me of the birdcage when they are like sitting down with a conservative family to have dinner, but they've tried to get all the gay things out of like all the the gay China. Basically, they forgot about the bowls, and it's it's young Greek boys having sex with each other, and they completely forgot about it. So when I saw this, I'm like, oh, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> They're playing Twister. 
not a big deal. <laughs> Get over it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the the journal kind of devolves into these pornographic images, and there's even a, a message scrawled in there that says Darwin was wrong, mm. um, which the time frame kind of fits because I think Darwin, I think he, he was passed already, away. He, he, he passed was, away before this. Yeah. Yeah. He I was say he was already established. That was uh, mid 19th century. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to the morning and. I, I really like these rock formations, Kyle. Like, I was I was having fun theorizing. Like, the movie, unfortunately, doesn't really do much with it. But from a production design standpoint, I really like these little rock formations that our, our central character uh, happens upon in the, in the bright morning sunshine. Basically, it's these rings of black rocks um, filled with uh, shells. Mm-hmm. Like, like empty shells of, of clams and whatnot and they're they're scattered across the the shore and i was like theorizing like oh this must be like the equivalent of like a dinner table or something like it, it's it's like either that or a trash can um but I, it's very organized <laughs> i don't know what purpose they're supposed to serve but they're there well we do see uh the the blue lady later pitch uh, a shell into one of them so I, th- I think it's like a waste bin or it's like the equivalent of like a, a feeding ground or something I thought um, it was just like a hobby of hers. <laughs> I mean, they do have hobbies. That is something we established towards the end of the movie, but uh, we'll get to that when we get to it. But um, yeah, one thing that does need to be said about the movie, like the shots are nice. The uh, the clarity of the image is great. Um, editing, I can't really say much about, but the locations and the, uh, the sets were what really jumped out at me the most. Uh, the location, I don't do this very often, but I actually was curious to know where they filmed this because it's one of the strongest elements of the film is just where they shot it. It looks great and it has a lot of character to it. Um, Kyle said uh, he saw some Iceland in there. Um, but the, the main credit that jumped out at me was the Canary islands is apparently where a lot of this was shot. Um, but yeah, it's like a, a black sand beachy area with these crashing waves and the color of the ocean looks, looks tremendous. It looks great. Um, and even the, the lighthouse set while very small, um, is well utilized and i i can't speak to xavier jens's quality as a director but he does seem to know the importance of having a a versatile soundstage to work with because the construction of the lighthouse set in particular uh, they do a lot of camera movements they do a lot of camera positions in there that do a, a good job of establishing the geography and moreover it seems like it was a flexible set that was well utilized for the most part so good on them decent decent production design and nice locations but um anyway uh what like the one of the first hiccups in this movie for me kyle i don't know if you'd agree with me or not is we go from like that that pleasant day just like kicking shells around and like watching the ocean and you know doing his job uh, our main character and we just do this hard cut to him at night and then it's like not five seconds go by and then there's a thump at the door yeah it starts immediately uh, yeah, it was like I, I could have used like it, I'm looking at it right now. Fifteen minutes into the movie, we, we have monsters. We got we got creatures and shit. Fifteen minutes in the movie, I was like, I could have used some more build up, honestly. Yeah, we could have like they could have been curious and like he could have seen something outside, like just some shadows the first night. Uh, like just see, oh, there's something out there. It must be Gruner, but it's not Gruner. It doesn't have any hair, and it might spook him a little bit. Then let him like kind of do some stuff the next day then that evening have something knocking at the door or maybe even have a noise the first night but don't have them attack because yeah we get a knock at the door and he's like gruner is that you 
and then a hand a webbed hand just comes up underneath the like yeah, sign it was just, like i was like that's right, it already right away I'm like, okay okay <laughs> And then, yeah, then it actually turns into Nazi zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he boards up the basement. Like, yeah. like he he saved up his his money to board up the basement. Uh, yeah. He forgot to buy a gun, though. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, he was one of those players, one of those inexperienced players that forgets to upgrade their gun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he does board up the basement. But um, actually, I really like that idea, Kyle, of having him mistake one of the creatures, like just see one have no interaction with it but just assume that that's gruner or something yeah and then and then the next night or something have have it get closer or or, or attack him then but especially because we have the precedent set that gruner likes to walk around naked yeah so it's like if he sees a naked silhouette out on the beach of course he's going to assume it's the the naked guy like like he does that yeah. <laughs> it's, it would have been so simple and it would have given us less time uh, him being stuck with Gruner. Because, I mean, that's the rest. Of, like, pretty much after this night, he's just stuck with Gruner. Yeah, I, I honestly would have preferred a little bit more mystery, a little bit more suspense yeah. leading up to the, the reveal of the monsters. Because, honestly, I put this on not knowing there were monsters. I didn't know what this was. Oh, you I went didn't? In, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I Like I said, I thought I knew what this movie was, but then I saw the art and I saw who was in it, and I was like, you know, I don't think I know what this is. So I just hit play and jumped right in that's what that i mean that's that's a fun way to start with these types of movies expecting nothing out of it yeah actually like i i think there is something to that because i I have a friend who watches basically everything and and i think that's how he's able to do that is he just puts it on he just he doesn't think about he doesn't intellectualize he's just like ah sure the title looks right the subject matter like the paragraph summary sounds right sure I get um, I get stuck in the in the trailers and then I'm like wait wait does it look that because then you start over analyzing the trailer I'm like is this a good trailer for a bad movie is this a bad trailer for a good movie and then you're just then you're fucked then you're like then you're gonna spend an hour trying to find something to watch well uh, as as I said before we started recording like there there are too too many goddamn movies out there many. and it it's very hard to feel like you're making good choices when you know full well that there are so many other movies you could be watching. <laughs> just rewatch a good movie if you can't find a new movie. I mean that, that that's watch. that's why we all do that is yeah. because we're all we're all afraid of of trying something new when we know full well there's something awesome just just on the shelf. I'm gonna make tacos and watch The Shining after this because because The Shining came up. I'm like, well, I didn't watch it at Halloween, so it's cold and it's going you, into cold. You weather. did mention you did mention Frozen Jack Nicholson, so yeah, you now you're obligated. You, got it. you, brought, you brought it up. <laughs> fucking in it, but yeah. So he gets. Um, so basically, um, this is where the, a siege basically happens, where these things are just trying to get in the house. I think he has a rifle. Does he have a rifle at this point? Yeah, I'll just point out that that initial attack, because this is spread out over two nights. Uh, the initial attack, it it starts with a webbed hand coming from under the door, and it's making horrible gurgling noises and thumping on the door. And he doesn't have the rifle at this point, so he hides in the basement, and uh, he he kind of like holds the door shut. And uh, we get a jump scare in the form of uh, something looking in a crack in the floor down at him, and he stabs it in the fucking eyeball. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. right quick about it. It's like, oh, you've done this before. <laughs> but he uh, he spends the entire night just awake watching the door, basically. Um, but then he wakes up in the morning, and there's, like, blood all over the floor. Um, but there's no monsters. There's nothing no. there. Uh, so he goes, and he, uh, he goes to Ray Stevenson's lighthouse, and he just, like, shouts at the door and throws shit and ray stevenson i think throws a piss bucket at him. oh it's a piss and shit bucket which always blows i i always forget until i see it in movies that that's just what people used to do when they're like we don't have an outhouse we live in an apartment complex without running water 
We're shitting and pissed. Watch Angela's ashes. Oh, gross. Um, yeah, he just pisses shit in the bucket, and he just, like, throws it out the window at it, basically, which is not how you want to start your relationship with the person that you are going to have to be dependent on moving <laughs> forward. Yeah, no, that that's not the best foot to start from. And, but, uh, um, he gives him a <laughs> It basically just gives him a get lost, dipshit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he he does not want to even talk to him. So uh, clearly, he's looking for help because he was accosted by something that had webbed hands and uh, is probably not very happy about being stabbed in the fucking face. I would um, be. <laughs> I mean, it left under its own power, so it seems like it's still alive. But um, anyway, uh, he spends the remainder of the day um, discarding his old life in the form of taking all of his books and uh, dumping gas on them yeah. like, at the fr- at the front of the hut or the cabin. I'm assuming it's oil of some kind, but yeah, I was wondering what the fuck is he doing? This was a yeah, horrible I mean, idea. There's narration. Basically, he's he is musing to himself about the fact that he he is this is like his last connection to civilization like nobody really knows he's here the whole reason he wanted to come here was for that but now all the all the all the tomes he brought with him all the all the props that he brought with him that like attach him to civilization he's like willfully discarding and preparing to incinerate so he's Making he's hatching a scheme or a plan uh, to defend himself because he's assuming there's going to be visitors tonight, and sure enough, there are. And uh, this is where uh, I was telling Kyle before we started recording, I can't. I the one thing I knew about this movie going in was the director's name and the people in it. I didn't know the plot, um, and I recognized the name, and I was like, "Oh, that's the hitman guy." So I carried into this movie the idea that. He has directed a video game movie before. Not a good one, mind you. I assume he has played a video game in his life. And so this whole time I was watching this sequence, I was thinking of uh, the cabin sequence from uh, Resident Evil 4, um, which is a a famous uh, siege uh, gameplay mechanic. Basically, you're trapped in a cabin with with a Spanish fella uh, shooting Spanish zombies. And it's just like a, a siege that goes on and on and on until you kill enough zombies. And just something about the vibe of the scene made me think of that. But yeah, uh, he has a bolt-action rifle now, and uh, he's right quick with it, but I don't think he's a good shot. And there's no. actually like a, a flub in the characterization here, because he's kind of like confidently defending himself here, like competently, I guess. He's not drawing any blood or anything, but he's he's shooting at in the general direction you ought to. He's loading the rifle. He's not fucking it up. Um but then the next time he does this, the next time he wields a rifle, he shuts down. Like he com- Shell he's shock. Compl- he's already had two very... St- so the first night, he has no idea what the fuck is happening. It's just something is broken into his house. The second night, it's a fucking siege. And he's scared shit. Like he's scared shitless, basically. He's just shooting wildly. So when we get to the next scene... He's already had these traumatic experiences. I think this is supposed to be like kind of a PTSD thing where it's like he just shuts down on the third time, which it which can happen where you just basically okay. I think it's it's partially that and then it just occurred to me that maybe the major difference is that on the third occasion he can see them. Yeah. At, he can see them. Like he yes. sees that they're they're humanoid in shape. He he And it's the overwhelming reali- too. Well, also just the reality that yeah, you're shooting at pe- you're shooting at things that look like people. 
Yeah. Like before it was just you're shooting at vague shapes on the other side of a barrier, like a door or a window. Now it's like you can see the head to toe. Oh, that's a person that I'm shooting at. So maybe that's a connection to the World War One thing where it's like, oh, shit, the fact that he knows what he's doing and what it means to do that is too much to bear. Or mm-hmm. Whereas before, when you're just aimlessly shooting in a general direction, it's like, you know, you you do what you have to do when when things get hairy. But now it's like, oh, I, I have people's hands in my life. Like, yeah. I have people's lives in my hands. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, miraculously survives by burning all of his books. Uh, he opens the door a crack and throws a torch onto the pile of books and ignites and it scares off all the critters, which we don't really get that much of a good look at. But um, some clever use of CGI in this movie uh, because it's well utilized. Like most, most, most of the CGI figures in the movie are shot at distance and mostly it's used for crowds. Um, so whenever we need to have many creatures on on camera at a time, we do that. But it doesn't draw a whole lot of attention to itself. But yeah, he almost he almost sets himself on fire uh, because he can't put out the fire and it spreads to the doorway. Um, but he does manage to escape uh, via a miraculous fire stunt, like crashing through the door. Um, and then he survives just like laying on a rock in the middle of the, like a rainy night. Yeah, like that would suck. Yeah, like that would be a shitty night. You would you would whiz your pants. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. But he makes it to the morning, and then uh, he he kind of waits for Ray Stevenson, for Gruner. Um, and Gruner goes out to fetch some water from uh, Gruner Owns This Fountain, yeah, which is a beautiful rock formation that has, like, a, a freshwater, like, waterfall uh, that he fetches fresh water from. Um, and he, uh, uh, our hero, essentially, uh, hides in the waterfall, and uh, he gets to meet a critter face-to-face. Yeah. Um, it's a female critter with clothes. And so it's just like, this is a lot of information at once. <laughs> like, I have many questions, very few of which will be answered. <laughs> but what would you think of, of the creature design here, Kyle? Uh, this is actually why I put it on the back burner for so long. It was because of the creature design. I'm like, okay, do you, just bury it. Bury the lead. Like, just don't tell me this is what it's going to be about. That's why I put it off for so long. It's... I don't really care for the creature design. Uh, we do have a person. It does seem like we have a person in like makeup for for most of this, which is uh, that's that's great that they did that. But it makes it so much weirder moving forward with how their relationship with this creature uh, kind of comes about. Like, it, it's not an attractive enough humanoid for what the characters do with this thing if you know what i mean but it's too it's too goofy looking it's too it's too not human looking you know what i mean i i think i know what you mean um i i didn't find it to be an exceptional design by any means um some of the sound design was kind of neat like the gurgling was a little excessive but it was a nice touch um i like the uh the shark eyes the additional set of eyelids that was a nice touch that they didn't draw too much attention to it would just happen from time to time um yeah they look kind of, it looks kind of like a shark or like a a, a whale person or something like kind of like a shark like teeth um like lots of weird little slits all over the body looking similar to like gills or something a very wide flat nose 
um, big, big blue eyes, which is very important for performance, you know, being able to emotionally connect to the character. So this creature design doesn't really resemble the shape of water uh, guy, but from what I, I haven't seen that movie, from what I understand of that movie, um, uh, I believe a lady starts banging that dude. Uh, so I feel like somebody, I don't think that Guillermo would have been shopping his story around to different studios. I think it would have been pretty clear that he was going to work with a specific studio. So somebody had to have like informed the studio about that project because this is way too close now that I began thinking about it. Way too close. Yeah, I, I was joking about this before we started recording, was that I, I did mention that this film did come out maybe the same year as The Shape of Water, and it, this very easily could be the uh, Deep Impact and Armageddon scenario, but with fish fucking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, also, like, in terms of creature design, like, Guillermo del Toro, like, he, the man usually designs his own stuff. Yeah. Um, so like you're not gonna you're not gonna outclass Guillermo in terms of creature creation. I'm sorry, but, no. um, yeah, the designs don't don't look all that similar. But yeah, I I would not be surprised if some some I don't know water cooler chat got taken a little bit too far or something, or somebody broke an NDA and it's, <laughs> and it's, some like a project like this got greenlit in a hurry to capitalize on all the you know because Shape of Water you know best picture it was kind of a big deal. It's just way too close. It, it's just, yeah. No, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if this project was sitting on a shelf or, like, the script was floating around and then somebody who, you know, works with the money aspect of the film industry got wise to the fact that, oh, high-profile director Guillermo del Toro is working on a fish-fucking movie? Mm-hmm. I know a guy who wrote a fish-fucking movie. Let's get that shit, like, out now, like, in a hurry. Let's get to the red box. <laughs> no, but... Yeah, um, the creature design here, it is it is nice that about 90% of what you see of this this main creature, the, the gal, uh, played by uh, Ara Garrido. Yeah. Uh, purely a physical performance. She doesn't have any lines of dialogue. Thank fucking God the, the creature doesn't talk. Like, yeah. I, I would not have been able to handle that. I'd be like, you're getting a little cute here. Like, no, she it's all nonverbal. It's all physical performance. And I, I was actually really impressed like she does communicate quite a bit with just her eyes and her body language and i'm i'm a huge fan of that sort of acting like i like that kind of stuff but um yeah she's introduced here and uh very quickly like it doesn't take a genius to kind of figure out what's going on here because like our hero is jumped by this female creature again clothed female creature and uh, he holds her up at gunpoint he's got her like laying on the ground and then Ray Stevenson's like, whoa, whoa, don't don't shoot her. And then he calls her over like you would call a dog over, and she goes to like sit at his side again, like a dog would or something. It's like I I don't know what it is. I don't know I don't know what this says about me, but instantly I was like, Oh, he's fucking that. Like, really? like, like Oh, from from minute one, I was like, Oh, he's fucking that. Like I did was, not get that I it did not get that. I, no, no, I'll I, I will correct that actually. I didn't. Ex- I didn't explicitly or precisely think he was fucking her. Um, what I what I thought was okay. So we had an instance of our hero reading a journal to somebody who supposedly passed away, and their wife is gone. We also had drawings in that journal of reptiles and fish, f- fucking women. So I was like, is that Ray Stevenson's daughter by way of fish fucking? 
or is that his fish wife uh, to replace his his human wife? I thought actually maybe it was like a, his daughter spawned from a fish mating or something, a, a human fish hybrid, if you will. Um, uh, that, I, that's what I initially thought, and then when it becomes very clear that he's fucking her, it's like oh. So I, I, I guess I didn't act. I didn't initially think he was fucking her. I thought it was. Adop- I, d- I did. I did think he was fucking a fish, though. <laughs> really, I see, I thought it was adopted daughter kind of thing. Just like, yeah, she got lost, and I just watch over her, don't hurt her, kind of deal. Okay. Well, either way, um, Ray Stevenson kind of like grudgingly uh, decides to help out this uh, this poor sap who almost burnt himself alive. <laughs> uh, so they they collect provisions and and weapons and bullets uh, to bring into the lighthouse. So that's going to be the primary residence. And then we have a really awkward cut where we go from moving things to a fade to black, and our hero is passed out on the bottom floor of the lighthouse, and the girl is licking his open wound on his hand. Yeah. See, you need. Uh, uh, you needed maybe like another body or somebody else to like just dead meat kind of situation because she's licking his licking his wound, which is really unsettling. Like it's very it's a really strange, gross kind of thing. His reaction to it is a little too subtle. It's like, yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but we'll learn later that they do eat people. Like they're not yeah. just killing people. Like they do eat people. So that would. If we had seen that or we had somebody else to kill off, it would have been a little bit more menacing for these people to get a hold these creatures to get a hold of you. But yeah, it doesn't make sense at first. But um, I my one thing uh, early on was this was like Grunder isn't crazy enough. Like the way he's portrayed and like everything that's going on outside of his lighthouse, he's just, you know, throwing shit buckets out the window at the new dude on the island. I'm like, this guy needs to be a little bit crazier. He gets there. He's just not crazy right now. He has episodes, yeah, uh, where, where he goes full crazy. But like, yeah, right now he's pretty lucid. Like mm-hmm. he, he's he's gruff, but he's mostly welcoming. Like, again, he's probably kind of bored. He probably doesn't have many people to talk to aside from this one fish gal. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, he he mentions that our hero had passed out for two days. Well, he didn't sleep and, that first night, and I don't yeah, think he slept the second night. So yeah, he's been up for like two days. It was just a really awkward cut because we go from like carrying heavy objects to a fade to black, and he's just out. Oh, I'd be he's, out too. Yeah, it, I, I, I I could have used a little bit more information. <laughs> I went. Uh, so we drove down to Bend, Oregon. We went snowboarding. I think it's Mount Bachelor. Uh, we got there at like 11 p.m. and then we proceeded because I was like 21 or maybe even 20. We proceeded to drink all night. Until uh, like four thirty or five o'clock in the morning. Then we got up two hours later, and I went snowboarding for eight hours. Like I went from nine to five. I came back after snowboarding after two hours of sleep and drinking that before. I didn't even put myself to bed. I just laid down on the floor and then I I just <laughs> fell asleep and I slept for twelve hours. Uh, like yeah, completely out. So this dude was up for two days, scared shitless, and did all that. I mean, they carried a heavy ass box for two grown men to carry. It looks like about a half a mile, uh, half a mile away, over rough terrain. So, yeah, I-, I can see him just like going in and just being out cold. So it made sense to me. I understand. I've been there, but uh, <laughs> um, I honestly, I don't think I would have woken up from her licking my hand. I probably would have slept through that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I follow. It's actually kind of ironic because, like, before we started recording, I was talking about how I could actually see this movie having about 20, 25 minutes removed from it. Yeah. 
and it would probably make for a slightly more enjoyable film and yet here i am complaining about things i i would have liked to have seen added to it funny <laughs> enough uh from other guys one of the things that will ferrell's character likes to do he's like i like to do a little editing on the weekend i actually uh cut six minutes out of goodfellas <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so what you could do is actually go back to this movie and edit it to get it down to like a, a nice 90 minutes <sighs> Well, in in the words of Tommy Lee Jones, I don't care. <laughs> so that's that's the end of that. But um, yeah, our our hero is now shacking up in the lighthouse with with our our fish lady and and Gruner, and uh, he's musing about how incredible a discovery uh, the fish lady is. He's never he never could have imagined a creature like this. And Ray Stevenson is just like totally blasé about. It. He's just like she's basically a dog. He's like, do you can you talk to her? He's like, yeah like i do a dog <laughs> and it's yeah. like he's he's basically treat her, treating her as a non non-human entity but yes um yeah um but yeah we we get our like first hints that like maybe our hero is also developing some sort of affinity for the the fish lady because we have a cute little exchange where she's examining a candle and uh he keeps trying to tell her it's not edible but he's like really shitty about explaining it and she keeps like insisting on nibbling on it and stuff uh, it's cute, but uh, long story short, though, we cut to uh, the evening where the shit happens. Um, so this is our first evening as a pair um, holding watch in the lighthouse um, because it's all but assured that last time we had a bunch of critters attacking this cabin. Um, now, we, now we get to see what it looks like when they attack the lighthouse. And uh, this was a this was an interesting way to to frame the sequence because uh, the the main thing that jumps out initially is uh we have our two heroes kind of like posted up at the upper floor of the lighthouse like from like a gun turret essentially um, with rifles looking down at the beach um, but then uh, the fish lady uh, is up above them and she's in a very awkward position like strewn about like like the guardrail. And she's making noises, like it, it's just like I, I don't even really know how to describe it. It's just ululations, and it that that tone just plays over this entire sequence, and it does a pretty good job of like building tension. Um, but then Kyle basically this uh, our our hero kind of excuses himself from the conflict. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, no, so uh, he's like, friend, get your gun. And uh, Ray Steven just starts shooting. He's like, all right, start shooting. And then it just goes like uh, Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan where he's just kind of like just not a ringing, but it's just like silent. He just kind of like backs himself into the lighthouse. And Ray Stevens is just screaming, just screaming at him like, hey. And he like throws a gun at him. And then he has a hatchet, like a little axe, and he's hitting, and then he throws the axe down off the tower. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You need that. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Friend just sleeps through the night. He's just like, oh, just just completely checks out, just goes to, just goes to bed. Yeah, uh, this was an interesting way to frame this, because this is supposed to be like him, I guess, earning his keep, because he, he sought shelter with Ray Stevenson, and this is him being told, this is how we survive here. And he doesn't, he's completely useless um, in the moment where it's supposed to count. And so uh, in the morning, uh, we get to see Gruner go full crazy. Mm. And it's it's pretty impressive, actually. Uh, the way he wakes him up and uh, the way he turns into the rock 
Uh, he, he starts speaking from third person. Mm. Uh, Gruner is an island. Gruner owns this island. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty spectacular, and Ray Stevenson just flips the fuck out on him because he's like, "You had one shot to like prove your worth, to yeah. show that you can be a, be of assistance, and you fucked me." <laughs> That's a pretty big fucking him over. Like, hey, this, this is what we got to do. That's a pretty shitty thing to do. So I'm on Gruner's side here. It's like. Dude, you better fucking pull your weight around here. This is horse shit. Because, uh, yeah, now he is Gruner's bitch. Um, but he's just like, now you get to do all the shitty work, dude. Go fill up the go fill up the buckets. Take yeah, Clean the place. Yeah. He's he's just his little bitch now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, he has to do all the cleaning and all the water fetching and stuff. And um, the next night is supposed to be, like, his last chance. Like, like. Gruner makes it known that like if if you fuck me this time, you you will have proven that you are utterly useless to me and to us, um, and that I'm basically going to pitch you into the ocean. I'm going to murder you in your sleep. I'm going to pitch you into the ocean. Let's not skip <laughs> over the cra- what was cr- the craziest part for me watching this movie. I'm like, oh, I did not see that coming. Um, friend goes upstairs to to Gruner's little area, and he like opens up a little hatch to go up there. And Gruner is full on just power fucking this uh, creature, like just straight up, consensually. I do believe. I, I believe. I believe it's consensual. It's it's, I hope it's so. hairy, man. The hope, but you know, if you're gonna put that in your movie, like, <laughs> like it's an abusive relationship. But I don't think we're crossing that line. Hopefully, it's, it, it's very difficult to 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 know for certain honestly what you can't you can't have you can't like gruner after that like if you think that that's what he's doing i'm just saying her noises they don't sound like it doesn't sound like it's not well and and the the nature of their relationship it's difficult because there's no verbalization like there's no speaking between the two of them yeah um but the fact that she we do see later on that she has some agency like she is allowed to to roam the island. She's not like sh- she's not like shackled to anything. She's not locked in the lighthouse. Yeah. She does f- have free reign to kind of roam the island as she sees fit, and yet she keeps returning. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that does point to there being some some element of willfulness on her part. But yeah, towards the end, it's like I, I'm I still wasn't quite sure. But either way, it's just one of those things. It's like it, it's it's only one shot. It does come up multiple times in the movie, but we yeah. only get to see one explicit image of it. But it's just like, oh, we're doing that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Gruner looks at him, too. He's just like, yeah, this is happening. Uh, yeah, that, that, it's exactly that kind of look. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, not, it's not enraged. It's just kind of like, kind of busy. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like that. But um, yeah, so now it's known to, to us, the audience, and our protagonist. Yes, he is indeed fucking that fish, fish woman. Um, but then we cut to the next night, and uh, our hero is put in a position uh, that he would probably rather not be in, and that would be, uh, instead of excusing himself from the fight, uh, he is forced to fight the whole damn fight himself. Um, because the fish people, by the way, like a, a horde of fish people, charge out from the breach and assault the lighthouse every night. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's like waves of... of blue humanoids charging out from the ocean so these are a lot basically i'm just trying to emphasize there's a lot yeah like there are a lot of people coming at them 
and it would be really nice to have more than one gun going off at a time. Yeah, um, uh, but, I don't know how yeah. much ammunition he has. I'm like, I think he had to stab motherfuckers all night because he didn't just they give him a bunch of ammunition to go out there with. Well, realistically, Kyle and I, I think we both talked about this before we started recording. I don't think this would be survivable. No. Um, no. no. I, I'm sorry. Like, like with bolt-action rifles, even with two guys, just the sheer volume, it's like, I'm sorry. The time you're spending reloading is you'll get ganked, and that'll be that. Yeah, it would make more sense if they had, like, smaller numbers, but the way that they're swarming this, it's like fucking uh, 200 dudes coming out of the water and basically swarming this uh three-story tower four maybe uh well, yeah and it's and it's not like 300 or something like the battle of thermopylae where you have human human beings with psychology that when they see someone next to them get hurt they get scared and maybe they don't keep coming like these are basically like borderline animals so like yeah. when when one of them gets shot in the face they keep coming so yeah like the time reloading and stuff no like you, you would get got i'm yeah. sorry it's yeah just, but he, but, he yeah, survives. This, this is this is this is high level Nazi zombies. This is like yeah. this is late late stage Nazi zombies. But um, another video game parallel that came to mind was I'm not a fan of it personally. But what's funny about that is I think it's largely generational because there's a whole generation of kids out there that's their favorite fucking thing ever. Uh, made me think of Minecraft uh, because the 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 cycle of that game is basically you you can build stuff you can do you can do any number of things you can learn to code in minecraft during the day but at night in minecraft uh, the monsters come out so you have to build a a shelter to hide and because of the success of minecraft many many other games with game cycles with with gameplay mechanics similar to that have come out over the years Um, so i couldn't help but think of that uh, in regards to this where it's like we have a day and a night cycle in the game uh, or in the movie sorry um, but yeah he he miraculously survives and we get this again interesting way of framing the the situation because instead of like showing all the explicit gore and violence and stuff we get to see a taste of it but then ray stevenson shuts the door behind him it's it's a big metal slab and we just see we have this rotating shot of him just sitting like on his bed and like leaning against the wall and we hear the noises of the conflict and it's funny because like the way i thought of this in the moment was like this is ray stevenson's character probably getting like the best night's sleep he's ever gotten like because it's like the first time someone else has been able to just do do the thing for him (laughs) so like i could i could be wrong on that but yeah he passes out and then we see that the sun come up and uh he goes out uh, to see our hero uh, just sitting on the balcony, just drenched in blood with a, a thousand-yard stare. Uh, so he is a changed man. Yeah, I think with uh, Gruner's drinking habits, he hasn't had a good night's sleep in a long time. Um, that would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Gruner locks him out. Uh, he survives. Um, he's not super shitty about it. He's just like, all right, well, um, now, now you've earned your... Now you can stay here. Now you're fine. But now, then we get like the shooting montage with chores like it's just like <laughs> shooting in the evening there's chores um gruner bangs it out again with uh anaris um and then friend ends up a- naming anaris which from imdb it says that that means siren backwards in spanish or some shit or it's just spanish for siren something along those lines yeah, I, I know it's Spanish, but I didn't I didn't know the origin of that. But that makes sense, given that she's from the ocean and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we, we do see that he's kind of starting to warm up to her a bit. Um, 
she starts being naked around him more often, so that probably has something to do with it. And also, he's been alone for a long time. She looks like Marilyn... She looks like... She has the body of Marilyn Manson on the Mechanical Animals cover, if you've ever seen the cover for that album. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Look yeah. it up. <laughs> uh, but did we get the chess freak out, which... This was, like, this was a good moment. Like, we finally start making Gruner a little off, and this was a good moment. Yeah, I, I like this quite a bit, um, especially because we, we pivot out of that scene uh, in kind of a fun way. Because, uh, basically, we've had this montage showing a, a pretty pretty big passage of time. Our, our hero has had enough time to grow a beard and shave it off, um, which he will end up growing back, which is kind of goofy, but... Uh, maybe a continuity flub or something. Anyway, he grows a beard, he shaves it, he's starting to get friendly with Anaris, uh, who he named in the meantime. But then uh, he's musing, uh, again, about the physiology of the creatures and whatnot, and, and uh, he decides to bring up chess, uh, or Ray Stevenson, rather, proposes the, a game of chess. And uh, they sit down for a game, and uh, Ray Stevenson puts him in check, and he promptly... Uh, checkmates him with the very next move and by the way i think the king or whatever piece he put down is is like a, a nut or a bolt basically yeah. or both put together um so he's missing a couple pieces but um as soon as he loses though gruner starts rocking back and forth in his seat and saying like no it can't be <laughs> like there's no way it can't be and our hero's like dude it's just a game like calm down but then like a noise happens and Ray Stevenson springs up from his seat and he's like, we forgot the light. <laughs> so it's, it's like left hanging open, whether or not he was really, really, really upset about losing that chess game. Or if he was doing all of that because they forgot to turn on the, the lighthouse basically, which uh, kind of keeps the monsters at bay somewhat. And uh, then we get one of the more ambitious uh, CGI shots in the whole movie. That would be like, just kind of like gliding across the the night landscape and just showing waves and waves of these mer people or fish people or whatever you want to call them uh, climbing up the lighthouse and it's a very ambitious and well executed shot for the most part most of the animation's done well uh the camera's pulled back from most of the the cgi figures so they don't look all that janky we'll get some of that at the very end of the movie um, but this is actually pretty good but yeah we get a pretty brutal melee here uh, where the critters kind of get up to the balcony and really have at it and it's it's mostly close quarters like not a whole lot of guns are fired here it's mostly just like rifle butts and machetes and hatchets and stuff um it's pretty cool actually yeah it's a little premature uh and i'm not sure why they did it so early in the film like they basically overtake they the the creatures take over the uh, lighthouse um and one of the things that uh grew Gruner asks him uh, when they first kind of meet, he's like, did you get bitten? And he's like, no, I burnt my hand. So I'm like, oh, maybe these things, if they bite you, there's like some kind of, like, they kill you or you maybe come, become one of them. Because then Gruner gets bit here on the leg pretty hard. Uh, so I'm like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? But they basically just, like, make their way up to the actual light where the light's actually going. And they're not blinded, which is shocking. Uh <laughs> But uh, they spend the night up there, and they basically just it, and it actually just solves itself. Like they end up just going back, but nothing really becomes of the leg, and yeah, this I, just seems a little premature. I have a little bit of a theory. Um, so 
I too was a little bit curious if if the wounds would get infected or if you know we'd do something like that where it's like oh you you can turn into a fish person or something I don't know like the movie doesn't really explain itself very much so it's actually kind of fun in that way like trying to piece things together but um I actually have a little bit of a theory um we see Anaris licking his leg in the morning and also by the way it's kind of curious that she's diurnal like she operates in the daytime but all the other fish people we only see them at night mm-hmm. like they they're strictly nocturnal so it it had me kind of scratching my head as to like that's why i was thinking maybe she's a hybrid or something i was like hang on she's like she's out and about all the t- she's very active during the day whereas we never ever see the other ones during the daytime is curious um but uh, he she's licking the leg wound and then I thought back to her licking the hand wound, and I thought like maybe the saliva like helps, like maybe it has not necessarily curative properties, but maybe it has like a coagulant in it at the very least or something, because nobody's objecting to her licking an open leg wound, yeah. <laughs> like like he's pretty okay with it, um, and yeah, he does kind of get over it right quick, like it doesn't factor into the story at all, honestly. It's just like a, a tense moment that doesn't really contribute to any of the proceedings. But um, anyway, yeah, they do make it through the night strictly by surviving. Like like all the critters leave in the morning as soon as the sun comes up. And uh, it's kind of evident that uh, Gruner's in a, in a rough state at the moment. Uh, so our hero uh, goes out exploring for a minute in the morning. And uh, this is where he finds some some sort of like wood and string something or other that looks like a doll or something because oh, i think they're planting the seeds that like oh the things they're shooting like have culture or have art to some extent and that's confirmed towards the end of the movie but um he sees a ship and he attempts to hail it with a, a flare gun and uh, gruner straight up assaults him and uh, takes it from him because gruner is an island gruner's the man like i think he even says like gruner is the man or something a couple times <laughs> Yeah, uh, dude, make a fucking fire. Just run over to your little house over there, set it on fire. I'm sure one of those dudes would be like, hey, we should go check out that fire that's on that island. Real simple, but he doesn't. No, he, he doesn't. He gets his ass kicked on the beach, and uh, Anaris actually steps up to defend him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ray Stevenson, like, he has done this before. He he reaches for that belt, and it comes off seamlessly. Just like, zoop, right quick. One, one fluid motion. Um, but... We have an exchange between Anaris and our hero where it's he wakes up to the noise of not fucking, but just like unpleasant, violent noises. And yeah. she just like she's like scurries out of the out of the lighthouse. And uh, he finds her uh, nestled up against a, a whale carcass like it's it's a beautiful just like skeleton of a whale uh, on the on the beach. And uh, he presents to her a uh, uh he, he whittled, basically, out of whalebone. Yeah. A little prop. Uh, I wrote it down, but then I'm like, that sounds like a euphemism. But he made a bone boat for Amorous. It's a bone <laughs> boat. I'm like, that sounds like it'd be something else. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> a bone boat. <laughs> a bone boat for Amorous. Amorous, yeah. Yeah, he made her a bone boat. Uh, basically, he took a, a whale vertebra and whittled it into the shape of a boat. And when he shows it to her, she's like, huh, I kind of know what that looks like. So she shows him there's a rowboat, like, capsized on the beach. He's like, 
information that would have been useful to me yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but, then he, I was going to say that. Then he talks to uh, he talks to Gruner about it. He's like, "Why didn't you tell me there was a boat?" And he's like, "You're not going anywhere in that boat, dude. You're not going to make it out of the fucking surf. Like you're going to get fucking crushed." But be my guest if you want to try to do something. Yeah, basically we're we're hatching a plan that um, Gruner informs our hero that uh, a Portuguese freighter of some sort had had capsized off the shore, uh, hauling dynamite. Um, and he like our hero kind of like accuses Gruner of having not done his best work to to save the the people who came ashore. He's like, yeah, what what are you gonna do? They're they're dead. Whatever. <laughs> um, also- but we're hatching a plan to go out to pay a visit to that freighter in the hopes that maybe there's some useful cargo still in it so uh friend had some provisions like he had food that was brought like they brought him some stuff what the fuck is gruner eating because he even said okay so here's another thing he's just like a friend asked gruner he's like are there some potatoes and he's like you're drinking it which means he's made uh basically potato vodka he's made liquor Where's his distiller? Like, how is he distilling this shit? Like, how is he eating? We, yeah, I mean, yeah, and and we we do see Anaris actually, like, she fashions a net and she brings them starfish, yeah, uh, pre- presumably to eat, and uh, he discards those. It's like, like I could see him living off of things pulled from the ocean, but maybe maybe have her actually haul in some things that he actually eats or something that makes but we sense. never see like, that like she fishes for him that would make sense like she could go and catch fish and bring it back to him that would be one thing but yeah we never see that yeah we, at one point there's a kind of a cute gag where she's eating a raw lobster in front of our hero and she like just like holds out her arm and she's like you want some and he's like god no <laughs> for it to be cooked but no thank you it's like yeah no 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 i don't need sea bugs like no, cooked sea bugs fine but but no yeah. i'm sorry like no please um but yeah we're hatching a plan uh to go out uh to the freighter via the the rowboat um but in the meantime we got to get busy uh so friend pays a visit to Anaris in uh, one of the hot springs that she bathes in during the daytime. And he just kind of like, again, we can't talk to each other. Like, there's no language between the two of them. He just, like, invites himself in and disrobes. And uh, we see Gruner's just like, mm, I don't like the looks of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no explicit imagery, but it's like, yeah, he, he wades out to her and he's pretty naked and she's pretty naked too. And it's like, yeah, it's I'm pretty sure some stuff happened. Even if he had clothes on, it would be inappropriate. Oh, yeah. No, one does not go in a hot springs with a hot fish lady. Like, it's just not done. If my my buddy's girlfriend or wife is in a pool and he's not there and I go ahead and jump into that pool, like, secluded like this, that's that's crossing a line. That is weird. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, that is... I'm not going. You gotta be careful. I'm not going swimming with my buddy's wife. Like that's not something you do. <laughs> you maybe, go... maybe if maybe if it's in like a pool and like like somebody's on the edge of the pool and the other person's in the that's water. That's fine. But no, that's hid- fine. Yeah, they're hidden. Nobody can see them at this pool, presumably. Yeah. No. I I'm inclined to agree. Kyle. One does not swim with their friend's wife. <laughs> not alone. <laughs> Life advice here, folks. Just just put that away. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Gruner initially doesn't want anything to do with the rowboat. He's like, "You ain't gonna fix that. It ain't gonna work. No. Like, there's no point." Um, but then when he sees uh, Frendo, fucking his his fish lady friend, uh, he's like, mm, 
I have an idea. So he says, yeah, sure. You have to do the diving, though. And he just happens to have a diving bell suit, which is kind of bitching, by the way. It looks awesome. It looks cool. Uh, by the way, if you haven't watched it, uh, AMC show The Terror. You should definitely yeah. check that out. I highly recommend that. But this, they had, uh, it was like really old. Uh, they had this like underwater diving stuff. Dude, you could not, absolutely could not get me to fucking go underwater in one of these things back then. Absolutely not. I don't know who would fucking volunteer for that shit. No, it's a it's a metal coffin. Like yeah. like you had you had to have balls of steel to do this, or just be totally shit faced drunk, maybe. Which <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> at the time, most people were. So yes, I'm so. I'm sure that that's I have to assume that's how you do that job is you just get completely just blackout drunk and just like okay let's do it <laughs> no, there, there is a significant amount of uh, human history at least in <laughs> at least in nations that def- like really have you know alcohol still a part of their uh, culture we were just drunk like <laughs> we were just drunk these people used to drink cider like uh like hard cider for breakfast that so was just like you just that you have that with your meal yeah, baseball was a better sport when everybody was drunk. <laughs> and on coke and smoking yep. in the dugout. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mickey yeah. Mantle, man. Look into it. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this diving bell suit, again, another video game reference comes to mind. I cannot help but think of Bioshock uh, because of the, the lenses uh, built in, like the multiple lenses built into the, the viewports on the helmet. It looks like a big daddy uh, from Bioshock if you're familiar with that, with that game. Uh, it looks very intentional in its design because this is most certainly a prop. Like this doesn't look like a true to life diving bell suit. It looks more like a medieval suit of ar- like armor with a diving bell cap. Um, anyway, uh, the underwater footage though, it's all fabricated. Like none of this was shot actually underwater, but it works. Well, I like it. It works. I think it looks quite nice. I wanted some more of this, honestly. But yeah, it looks yeah. really good. I was really surprised, like, because some of the CGI, there isn't much of it at this point in the movie, but some of it was kind of spotty. Some of the compositing, in particular the green screening on the surface of the water during this sequence at the freighter, um, doesn't look so great. Like, Ray Stevenson really looks like he's on a soundstage. Um, but yeah, the, the diving footage, actually, it's all CGI. It's all on a green screen set, but it looks pretty snazzy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have a, kind of a tense sequence where our hero goes down and uh he's he's retrieving these cases that spilled out from the sunken freighter and uh we see critters swimming around him none of them are threatening him but he's aware of them and they're making him they're making him snurts they're making him nervous uh and uh the whole time like the first shot we get of them rowing out to this location in this icy patch uh out at this freighter the first shot we get of ray stevenson he has an expression on his face that suggests he's up to no good and mind you, he just saw his quote friend fucking his lady friend. They didn't. Um, did they fuck? They embraced while he was naked. <laughs> I feel like it was just we're we're just kind of toeing the line here. The two of like the two of them. I don't think they fucked though, because I feel like that would have been more explicit. Yeah, you're probably right. But point is, he was. Cozy. It was inappropriate. It was inappropriate. It was inappropriate. Yeah, if there was splashing. Like if there's playful splashing, I could forgive some of it. Yeah. Like if if somebody's flicking water at somebody, that's okay. But yeah. if we're just kind of like bobbing around, just staring at each other, that's weird, man. Yeah. That ain't cool. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be some motion. <laughs> but um, anyway, 
Uh, Ray Stevenson, like I said, the camera kind of trains on him from time to time, reminding you that like mm, maybe he has ill intent, like taking this guy out to an isolated place and putting him in a metal coffin at the bottom of the ocean. And sure enough, um, when things get hairy, uh, he stops pumping the oxygen and he doesn't haul up our friend. Um, so the way the way that our hero escapes from this situation is just kind of like I have no sure. idea. I have uh, he he hits a button on the on the suit and he just swims to the surface. Yeah, in in Arctic waters. Sure. Yeah. How do you take that off? Like, how does have you ever seen somebody put one of those things on? How would you take that off? It has zero mobility, so it's not even like a like a, an advanced diving suit. It's just like a, a dude in armor that doesn't move. So yeah, I don't know how he gets out of it. He just like gets out of it and floats up to the top yeah what? it looks it looks like he's blowing the ballast on, on the on the suit or something i've always been curious is like whenever you go to a pool and it's like maybe like a 12 foot pool like you try to swim down to the bottom the pressure that's on your ears is like it's pretty pretty nuts he is well below 12 feet and to go from, I don't know what the pressure is like inside that suit, but I can't imagine what the pressure is like with the water, like, just immediately. I feel like it would burst your eardrums, but I don't know. It, it seemed like yeah, it would I, be a lot. I don't know if it would be that intense, but I would imagine this is a couple of atmospheres down and and in freezing fucking water. <laughs> that, like, I'm, you would never forget that feeling for the rest of your life, like, that amount of cold. Like, he's already cold, but, like, water hitting you cold like that? Yeah. Yeah, no, it it again another unsurvivable situation. But yes. sure, we we still have some more movie left. But yeah, he escapes, and he, actually, he never accuses Ray Stevenson of any wrongdoing. He just he's probably just thankful to be alive. It's, honestly. You know, honestly, considering that he needs him, like he he needs to be with him. He should have just shot him. Honestly, like. I actually I actually appreciate that that they they do come to blows at the very end of the movie, but prior to that, they don't really argue or butt heads very often again, because like Kyle's saying out of necessity, you like, can't, there's just no point to it. Yeah. Like you, like it's not going to achieve anything. You don't, you need him. He doesn't need you. So yeah. really just, yeah, know your place, dude. Like, <laughs> sorry. No, I, I actually appreciate that. Cause in, in a, a lesser production or a lesser script, they probably would have a lot of that or, a lot of bitching, a lot he, of just. It's also you have very much a bruiser, like like race. He's Gruner is he's the fucking Punisher. He's the Punisher, like but just the character. <laughs> the character Gruner is just like he's more he's more rough around the edges. Friend is a nerd, like he's yeah. there to be a nerd, so it it wouldn't match up. Now, if you had another aggro dude, the other aggro dude probably would have killed him already. Like he would have. That's probably another reason why Gruner takes him in as well. He's like, oh, I, this dude will do whatever the fuck I say. Oh, yeah. It's like he looks him up and down. It's like, oh, I could take him. I could <laughs> shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, they, they haul up the cases. And uh, the first one they open is rotted um, because it's been at the bottom of the ocean. But they do find some usable dynamite. And they rig it up all around the lighthouse. And friend does uh advise gruner like ah, that's a little close bud <laughs> like he doesn't like strongly admonish him he's just like you know that's a little close like to our lighthouse or i.e our, our one and only shelter like maybe maybe put it a little bit further out but at this point uh we didn't really mention it but the plan with the dynamite is that we're, we're looking to exterminate the threat so 
Gruner has had a lot of dialogue um, and a lot of like comments about his personal philosophy up to this point in the film where his life is the fight like his life is the struggle like like this routine this hellish routine of gathering in the day and fighting at night is comfortable to him it's 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 his accepted reality it's his embraced reality but now seemingly out of frustration or jealousy over the the situation with Anaris and our hero his philosophy is pivoted away from that and now he's looking for a like a excuse the phrasing final solution uh for 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 the fish people um basically he's looking to extinguish the threat um (laughs) very poor choice of words yeah very extraordinarily but it, it it unfortunately that was the most natural way to phrase it but um but yeah it's interesting from a philosophical standpoint that it's like this this is him treading similar ground to to the character friend where friend was wilf- seen willfully discarding uh, his connection to humanity um his, his chosen lifestyle his chosen identity and now we have gruner doing a similar thing where he's taking his lifestyle and f- finding a way to stop it basically to change to change what what will be um in the form of completely eliminating the fish people uh with the dynamite so the plan is to lure them out to the lighthouse and then just blow the fuck out of them but then what happens is a series like several minutes of screen time of them not able to fight the fishmen because they're not showing up <laughs> and yeah. it's winter time by the way actually you don't have to do you don't have to use uh jack nicholson in the shining you can take this screenshot of gruner outside because uh so friend like goes upstairs just to like just to i guess wake up gruner and he's like not at his bed so he goes upstairs and then Gruner's just outside, and I believe, presumably, he's just been outside all night. Because he goes up to him, and it looks like he froze to death. And his hand is just on the detonator. And he just, like, takes his hand off the detonator, and you see Gruner move a little bit. And you're like, oh, buddy, let's get you inside. Let's get you a, a hot <laughs> cup of coffee, maybe. <laughs> just maybe some soup or something. Yeah, get you some hot cocoa with little marshmallows in it. The shitty kind. Yeah. <laughs> get you some Swiss Miss or some Ovaltine, but... I I really like that moment, like that's that's some good Ray Stevenson. He does some acting shit there, because mm-hmm. like like he yeah he's just like frozen like a statue with his hand on the plunger of the dynamite, but then when he gets up, he just has this like meek kind of pathetic look on his face, and friend is just like let's get you inside, and as he's walking past him, as Ray Stevenson's walking past him, he like gives him like a a pat on the cheek. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just this like loving warm gesture from like a hard horrible person yeah but but anytime you see somebody like that extend a gesture like that willfully it's like oh wow like that he was fighting himself the whole time but he got it out like 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 that's a gesture that probably no one else on this planet has ever like received um but yeah uh they come to the conclusion that Hmm. Maybe uh, Anaris is uh, the solution to our problem of not being able to find the fish people. Our hero actually like kind of theorizes maybe the weather because it is winter time now. Like remember, all of the events of the story take place over the course of a year, and it's now winter, and the island is covered in ice. It's fucking miserable. Um, but our hero actually had theorized earlier in the film that like uh, maybe the wailing from the fish lady is what's drawing them in, and she hasn't been doing that for the past several weeks. So inadvertently, like he didn't mean to t- 
turn Ray Stevenson onto this line of thinking, but he remembers that and he's like, "Oh, I should like make her start singing and stuff." So he like hauls her up to the the top floor of the White House and starts shooting into the sky. He gets real fucking drunk <laughs> well he also and, slaps her around for bringing them starfish to eat which is like okay yeah. he's an absolute piece of shit uh yeah and then it this is kind of sad because he's just like yeah trying to make her sing and she's just having trouble doing it like she just can't do it um oh yeah and she's she's in tears as she's doing it so it's like oh, like it is clear as day that like as as much as i've been calling her a fish person the the person part probably deserves a capital p um, so she does have some humanity, like understandable emotionality and whatnot. But yeah, she starts wailing, and uh, yeah, uh, the fish people appear. Uh, we get a, a little scrap in, on the bottom floor because our hero is supposed to be like watching the front door, um, and Ray Stevenson's manning the the dynamite plunger. We get a little a little scrap on the bottom floor. We get <laughs> a dude gets impaled on on like a broken uh, guardrail of the staircase. It's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, lots of lots of headshots and whatnot. It's pretty tasty. Um, and anyway, uh, eventually, uh, Ray Stevenson does get to press the plunger, um, but not before we have a little last-second tension in the form of uh, we did see Friend um, undo the, the, the wiring attached to the plunger when he was escorting Ray Stevenson inside the night before, and they forgot to redo the wiring. Mm-hmm. So as they're fighting off the hordes, they have to do that. And it's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> but I, this is where I'll, I will throw out there that um, a lot of this movie did make me think of the finale of um, I Am Legend. Um, not necessarily the, the Omega Man, although maybe that as well. But um, I Am Legend, of course, has that theme of the the one person who's framed as being like the survivor is ultimately framed as being a monster like regarded as a monster among the the quote monsters uh, but the finale of that will smith movie um, made me think of this one mostly because we have a situation where there's a female captive creature and seemingly nothing but male creatures coming for her and it's never actually explained what the motivation behind their assault on the lighthouse from night to night is like at first i thought she was calling to them to save her but then when she stopped calling out to them, it seemed like she was embracing her, quote, captors, like she was comfortable living with them. And by the end, it's just like, I'm I'm not entirely sure what the motivations are, but it's, I guess it's compelling enough to, to get to the end of the movie. But anyway, we get some fireworks. Uh, we get two different explosions, uh, a lot of dead fish people. And in the morning, like if you didn't realize that what you're looking at is probably somewhat allegorical to uh world war one uh, we get a situation where there's a bunch of dead bodies strewn about and they're just kind of like uh, not necessarily butchering them but just just like finishing the job finishing the job yeah um and friend does discover like a a crafted necklace uh being worn by one of the the fishmen and this is where it's like hammered home that's like Oh shit! Like they they have art, they have culture, they they have humanity, and yet we've been butchering them from night night to night. And last night we blew up probably hundreds of them. Um, but then, like shockingly enough, the movie continues on. Kyle, I was actually kind of surprised that the big explosion, which would normally serve as the climax, like the climax of any story, is not the climax. It's not the finale of the movie. Like there's still 
a chunk of movie left. Yeah, it's kind of insane. Because, uh, yeah, you could have easily killed Gruner with the second explosion, had him off, and you could still have that same ending to this movie. But then we go for, like, an extra 20 minutes. Like, I was actually, I was looking at this, like, there's still another 20 minutes of this movie. The movie's over. Like, Yeah, I, I was very surprised. I was like, that seemed like a very neat and tidy place to start wrapping things up. This is the worst part of the movie, is, like, the last 20 minutes. Because it's like, the, it movie's, is. It, it is. the movie's done. So we learned that Gruner is a real fucking uh, Woody Allen. Uh, he basically <laughs> had Aneris since she was a child and just kind of groomed her into his girlfriend. That's um, not exactly the same, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's adopted. It's his adopted daughter, and now he's banging her, which is super fucking creepy uh, and gross. Uh, don't do that. Um, <laughs> fr- uh, friend ends up making a rock circle. Uh, because I think uh, Aneris is gone now. Like she hasn't come back. Like she she took off. And because there's a lot of her her kinfolk that are dead now. Um, and he ends up making a rock circle. And then he places a little boat into it. And uh, he, that's he just leaves that there. And then we get Gruner emptying the, uh, all the gunpowder out of the ammo, which somehow they have more of. Uh, and he's trying to make it. He's making it into a bigger weapon, but it, it wasn't clear what he was making exactly. Uh, he's he's I know. taking f- flare gun shells and making them into weapons as yeah, opposed to just like go. flares. Um, but yeah, basically he has that line, Kyle, that it's like... Um, put, 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 put more fear in them. Basically he, he says that we, we showed them we have a powerful weapon uh, in the form of the dynamite. So we need to keep up the ruse that we can do that again. Mm. So we need to introduce new weapons, new technology on the regular to to keep them on their heels. Uh, so again, very very much drawing parallels to like World War One or just war in general. So uh, Gru- uh, I, I ended up taking notes to put Bruner in for some reason. I don't know why I changed G to B, but Gruner. He's really going off the off the alcohol rails. Like he's really starting to lose it. But there's no real reason why he's losing it at this point other than he's just kind of nuts and maybe because he's actually inter- interacting with a person like it's just more apparent how he actually is but it, there's nothing that really sets him off th- that i could think of i mean besides him swimming with his girl but he never like confronts him about that and he would be the type of dude that would well let's uh let's let's get to the 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 true climax the true finale of the film then maybe maybe can suss it out as we go here but yeah uh, as kyle had pointed out the uh the (laughs) uh bone boat uh (laughs) is is placed in a stone circle so a friend uh has obviously he he noticed all the stone circles strewn about the island so he's attempting to communicate basically he's using their symbology uh and attempting to establish communication with the fish people um, and the way this manifests is, uh, oh, by the way, a very important plot detail. Um, he's futzing around with Gruner's things as Gruner's sleeping, and he finds a photo in Gruner's belongings that uh, bears the same surname as the the person who Gruner said was died of typhus, uh, the person who was supposed to be doing the job that our hero was coming to do, uh, to replace him, essentially. And uh, so we learn here that Gruner is that person he just goes by gruner now and the woman in the photo that we saw at the very beginning of the movie was his wife um it's mr and mrs so gruner at some point lost a wife 
to what means, we don't know. But the point is, he had someone and he lost them. And now he doesn't seem very keen on losing things anymore. Well, in the next scene, he's his going off rambling. He's like, no one leaves me. So it, I think she might have just left his ass. I think so. I, I think so. But um, just before that, so the boat is placed in the stone circle, and then the worst effect in the entire movie uh, appears. Uh, that would be the little fish person. God damn it. Yeah. It looks god-awful. It, it is utterly unconvincing. I don't know if motion capture was used here. If it was, it wasn't done well. Um, the lighting, the animation, none of it looks right, which is a shame because Anaris in general looks great, looks yeah. fine, looks like what whatever effect they're intending to achieve, they did so. But yeah. in this case, this was not the correct choice. They probably just should have found a small person and put them in full body makeup, which we see Anaris in here, like head to toe. It's so, so it can simple. It can yeah. be done. It, it just do the same thing you've been doing, but... No, they they went with full CGI and it's not great. Um, but the this little fish person comes out and grabs the boat and uh, Anaris comes with them and uh, all the fish people basically show up on the beach. And again, we we don't have the means of communicating verbally, so everybody it's just friend uh, making deep, meaningful eye contact with Anaris, and her position suggests that maybe she holds some sort of title or rank among the fish people she seems to she seems to have like be somewhat in charge to some extent but the point is none of them are coming at him none of them are attacking him so like lines of communication are open but then fucking gruner shows up (laughs) yeah and he he brought a right he brought a gun (laughs) yeah he just starts yelling he's like get back over here you're my property uh and she's just like no and he's like fuck you bitch and he's like no one leaves gruner gruner leaves and he just like storms off and as he's storming off, I'm like, he's going to start shooting people immediately. That's like, it's going to happen. I'm going to run you over when I come back down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exactly that. Yeah. No wonder you're extinct. Yeah. Um, but fetch the stick, stupid. Um, but yeah. Uh, so theory. Um, Gruner, Gruner mumbles here a lot about uh, nobody leaves Gruner. Gruner's the man. Gruner is an island. Um, these are all... These are all like statements of personal truth. These are all things that he's in, he's reinforcing his his version of reality by shouting all this. So this is his worldview. This is what he believes. This is what he's clinging to. And remember, uh, he's a creature of habit. Uh, he had he had a very strict routine he was living by, seemingly for a long time uh, before friends showed up and disrupted things. Um, and he started to kind of go off the rails when that routine was severely disrupted in the form of um, him noticing that like the other person was buddying up to the the woman who he claims ownership of. Yes, there we go. Um, so his properties being messed with, uh, his lifestyle is being messed with, the escalation in the form of the dynamite thing seemed like a, a hasty thing that he jumped onto that seemed like a good idea at the time but the problem with finishing the fight is that the fight is his life that is his reality and when it's resolved you're robbed of it so it's i I feel like this is a person who yeah his wife probably just dumped him yeah like it's probably like that episode of seinfeld with the with the um with the jewish congregation where the, the the guy who's dressed in military fatigues 24 7 
turns out to not be an injured veteran or like a guy suffering from PTSD. He just had a really bad breakup and he's not <laughs> handling it well. <laughs> I haven't seen that episode, but that's really funny. <laughs> oh, it, it's one of the very best, man. It's a it's a, a George Costanza's father uh, makes an appearance. George oh. Stiller makes makes he has a lot of screen time. What? He has a lot of screen time. You got to find out the epi- like what season and episode that's from because I'm still trying to go through Seinfeld and those early seasons are just they're kind of tough. Yeah, the, the the pilot in particular is like this is not what this will be like <laughs> like this is a pilot for sure. But but anyway, and I I theorize that Gruner is he's just trying to hold on to what he's got, and as soon as the thing that he has is jostled, like it, it like his whole world is coming down. Um, so this simple gesture of like someone not listening to him or someone pulling away from him, it's like the walls of reality are crashing down and now people got to die. So yeah, uh, the little CGI fish person gets just fucking impaled with the flare gun. But it's it's good in the movie because I I wasn't expecting it. I, like like I, I I knew it was coming, but I wasn't expecting it. So when it happens, I'm like, oh shit! I'm like, oh now you now you done it. Now you're gone and done it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This this kid gets a fucking flare shot into his torso, and mm-hmm. he goes into spasms and dies a horrible death on the beach. Uh, Gruner keeps slinging flares at the fish people, and they all run away. He doesn't really kill any others, but the point is, he's still he's still fighting the fight. Uh, so our hero runs into the lighthouse, and then you don't put Ray Stevenson in your movie for dialogue, man. You put him in there for fisticuffs or punishment. Uh, so we we have a little scrap. It's a little fist fight. Of course, Ray Stevenson just utterly beats his ass. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty fantastic, especially the bit when uh Gruner gets stabbed. Like our hero actually like stabs him a little bit and yeah. he he no sells it. He's just like, I'm not even gonna I'm not even going to acknowledge that that just happened. Like, come he, here, you little squirt. Yeah, you, you little <laughs> shit, get over here. Yeah, he just kinda gets Yeah, it uh he has got he's lost his fucking he's off his rocker, and yeah, he is Going up to okay, so friend stabs him, yes, and Gruner's like, ah, god damn it, you little shit, and he's about to like hit him with axes, like you're not a killer, Gruner, and I'm like, oh, he he says his his real name. Oh, he says his real name. Okay, that makes more sense because I'm just like, he absolutely is a killer, and you just stabbed <laughs> him with a knife. I think legally he's allowed to kill you. <laughs> this is 1914, yeah, and, dude. And that is his lighthouse by by. <laughs> by law i think it's it's right to, to mangle you with a fucking hatchet yeah <laughs> no but um yeah he does stop him in his tracks and by the way they give ray stevenson the good eye light um when he's holding up the hatchet like yeah. it's, it's he, he does some of that acting shit you, you it's it's a good emotional beat but yeah he's holding this this hatchet aloft and he's stopped in his tracks by our hero pulling out his hand and saying his real name and saying like you're not a killer and then i i think Ray Stevenson drops the hatchet and he mutters to himself the words on the back of the photo. At least I think that's what I heard. Which is just the words love like three times. Love, love, he just, love, yeah. And he's just like love, love, love. Which is him, you know, remembering who he was like it, in that lifetime that he discarded a long time ago in favor of this stable but utterly toxic lifestyle. <laughs> stable, though. People don't leave you when you don't let them. Yeah, uh, not a not good for anyone. But if if that's what's important to you, um, sure. But then he just kind of like 
mutters to himself those words, love, 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 and uh, he willfully walks out to the front of the lighthouse drenched in blood, and uh, all the fish people jump on him, and they eat him alive. Yeah, uh, yeah he's Not just a like, good way to go. <laughs> no, you just hear him screaming. Uh, it's a weird way to kill yourself, because uh, he, he just he he just willingly goes out there and just lets them eat him. A very strange end for this person. Uh, I assume there were plenty of other bullets or he could have thrown himself off the lighthouse, but it's a very strange way for him to go. Yeah, I, I think the idea is that um, the the opening line with the, the captain from the ship asking our hero, um, like, what are you running away from? And then he he answers his own question by turning it into a non-question. He he says that there's a beat. And then the captain says, "That's what every that's what everybody asks people that go out to sea, like when they when they do that." Um, so he doesn't like require an answer from the, our hero, and we never get one. Um, but I think the idea is that uh, Gruner was supposed to be like a character who is perpetually running away from from acknowledging like who he used to be or, or or his prior reality and just that simply having that honest moment like that honest revelation like oh fuck like yep it found me and he's just like well i i was running it caught up to me and now there's nowhere else to go so it's like at that point it's like life isn't worth living anymore because like that was the whole point of this whole this whole situation was just like living on this hellscape like day in and day out um so yeah i think he was just like ready for it to end finally um but then we have a, a questionable ending where we uh we have a parallel established between our hero and gruner because we cut to some n- n- indescript like period of time we don't know how much time passes but presumably it's the they finish out the year yeah um so i would imagine like a season or something and our hero has grown grown back his beard and his long hair, and he gets woken up by uh, his replacement. Well, not yeah, his replacement. And then he basically like verbatim says most of the same things that uh, Gruner had said when he was awoken in similar circumstances. So we're trying to establish some sort of parallel between the two of them. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. he's reminded that World War One has broken out, so take the shit serious. And uh, he's he. The last image we see him looking at is uh, a big ship uh, moored just outside the shore. So he, he has his ticket home. Um, and then the last images we get in the film are Anaris, uh, seeing like seeing all this from a distance, and then a kind of a raggedy CGI shot of a of a computer generated Anaris bounding across a bunch of rocks. I understand why you'd have to do that because human beings can't move like that on rocks like that unless they know parkour. Um, and uh, yeah, she jumps into the ocean and credits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. <laughs> That's kind of at the end of it. They were just like, "Well, that happened," and uh, I've got nothing out of it on the other side. It's just like it just—it was a movie. It told there, you a story. There are some. <laughs> yeah, it's the goy's teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I told you a story, didn't I? Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's interesting because like there are interesting ideas at work here like there's some there's some there's some fascinating things here nothing that could carry an entire movie i think um like i said i i 
would have liked to have seen maybe 20 minutes of just kind of the nothing bits of the movie just removed but at the same time i kind of acknowledge why they're there like the the movie the script makes a lot of acknowledgement to um the repetition of the proceeding so it's like it's it's expected that there will be dull moments because that's just how that is um but yeah it's it's a handsome movie kind of an interesting concept a lot lot of interesting ideas but i feel like the execution somewhat flawed ray stevenson is not criminally underused um but he's like one of those one of those actors out there that like i said he's a selling point for me personally and i thought he he committed to the material he did pretty well in this it's just the movie didn't really back him up a lot of times and also it just has a little bit of an identity crisis because it kind of wants to be an action movie honestly but it's it's really not like the script isn't structured like one but but the way that like the violence is framed it has like kind of an entertainment kind of angle to it so it it felt a little like it yeah like it had a bit of an identity crisis to it but any uh any closing thoughts there kyle Nah, not really fair enough i mean like i said it was a movie yeah um, so, it so was kyle a... kyle's grand return to the mic for a movie <laughs> yeah a movie Anyway, uh, this has been uh, Cold Skin, uh, directed by Xavier Jens uh, from 2017. Um, and I guess this is our, our first entry in uh, Kyle's Cold Christmas. Um, not brutal this time, just cold. Just cold. Just, just, just cold. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the show is available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, <laughs> that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.